So uh, the first slide we have, this is uh, one thing that fellowship had to have, right? Next slide, Akin. That's it. So all fellowship, like growing up, like when you had a bring and share, it had to have quiche. Right? So, so if, if there was no quiche, you knew that it was a pagan bring and share. So you had... Holy communion, right? That was really important. But if there was no kids, there was something seriously wrong, right? What is going on, right? I forgot the first question. Sorry, the first question, Sam. Do you want to read that one out? So you've got nothing to do with quiche. Sorry. Right, this is the hardest question. What is the Greek word for fellowship? The clue is spare change. What is the Greek word for fellowship? Yeah, maybe, I need PJ. So what is, so if you want to write it down, if you just want to ignore it, that's fine, you know, I'll spend hours on it. Um, so what is the Greek word for fellowship? And the clue is money, right? The clue is money, okay. The second question. Which country does quiche come from? Which country does quiche come from? I know it's very random, very random quiz. Where does quiche come from? Which country? I don't even like quiche. Okay, the next slide. Akin is busy doing his quiz, which is good to see. Thank you. So, um, people that led churches when I grew up just didn't know what to do with this first, right? Because it's one of those ones like, that's kind of in the Bible, we ought to do it, but how do we do it? Um, and it kind, of, it kind of resulted in this being in the service where people just say, like, Maybe they're busy with the PA or something, so the leader would say, right, five minutes, let's fill it. Go and greet each other, right? Go and say hello, right, to someone you don't know particularly. Now, as an introvert, that used to scar me, because I used to find it very difficult. I used to gravitate towards the people I knew. Then I'd get sort of the bearded woman that would come up to greet me, right? I'm like, like, mum, leave me alone, leave me alone. Okay, now this is one way that the, um, the Bible translation got over this. Right, look at this, this made me laugh. Right, next verse, look. <laughs> Isn't that brilliant? Now how are we going to get over the kiss thing? Let's make it a handshake. Fantastic, that's like the worst translation you can have. Because the word kiss is the same word that Jesus was portrayed with Judas, right? With a kiss, right? It wasn't with a handshake. You <laughs> didn't go up to Jesus and... <laughs> like that, it wasn't that, it was definitely cute. It's a terrible, terrible translation. But it does lead us to another question, doesn't it, Sam? <laughs> what TV personality would give you a great handshake if you made a great quiche? <laughs> what TV personality would give you a handshake? See the link there? See the link? Right, this is another question for, for younger people and Barney. Which Disney princess was awoken by a kiss after pricking her finger on a spoon? Barney knows that one. I know he does. So which princess was awoken by a kiss? There's two answers. And there's an easy answer and there's a not so easy answer to that one. Okay, next question. Next slide, sorry. Lord of the Rings. So growing up, this is my favourite book, still is my favourite book, apart from the Holy Scriptures, of course. just like to say that, in case I get stoned. Um, so, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, or a kid. So, there is a question about this. 
characters were in the Fellowship of the Ring? How many characters were in the Fellowship of the Ring? How many, how many made up the Fellowship of the Ring? Oh. Oh. Go well, don't worry. You're still going to get your links on. <laughs> how many were hobbits? How many were hobbits? Eight. Alright. My last slide, you'll be pleased to know, was this slide. So, a group hug while singing find us together rules. So, I have been scarred by that song. Now, preparing this sermon has reminded me of the song, and I've got to go to the hospital tomorrow to get it surgically removed from my brain. Because once you've got find us together rules, you will not stop, day and night. So, I, yeah, I mean, I'm going to get prayer later on. So, here's the next question. Complete the first verse of Bind Us Together, Lord. Bind Us Together, Lord. Bind Us Together with... Blank. Dot, dot, dot. Okay. So, what was the next verse? You'll be singing now, I know. Let's try and find out. Okay. We're almost at the end. Don't worry. The children will be released. Ah, this is the serious bit. Sorry jokes are finished. So I want to say, and this is what I'm going to say this morning, is that the idea of Christian fellowship turns society upside down. What you and I take for granted nowadays in terms of things like human rights, things like looking after each other, charity, are all speaking rooted in Christian fellowship. And I'm going to explain that a little bit later on. So much so, and this has baffled people that look at these things, I think they need to get out more, right? But these people look at things like, how did the church grow so quickly in the first three, three centuries? So in the first 300 years, the church grew to a massive number, and people study this and go, how is that? How is it that the church grew when they were being persecuted, when they were being sent to the lions and stoned and put in prison? How is it? that this church, this idea of fellowship, grew beyond all understanding. So that leads me to my last question. You can see the Lucas egg coming in. By the 3rd century, how many Christians were there? Was it A, 100,000, B, 1 million, or C, 6 million? So how many Christians were there by the... Now, we haven't counted that, right? So it's just an estimate. Is that okay? Um, so A, how many Christians were there by the 3rd century? A, 100,000, B, 1 million, or C, 6 million? Okay. Should we do the answers? Should we do the answers? Are you waiting for the answers? I know you all are excited for the answers. So first, actually, let's just, should we ask? Should we ask them? Should we ask what was the answer to the first one? Okay, what was the answer to the first question? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're natural. So, what was the answer to the first question? Koinonis. Koinonis? Koinonia. Koinonia. Yeah, yeah. PJ said. That's very intense. Okay, second one. Second one. So, where is Keish from? 
everyone, apparently I googled it and everyone thinks it's from France. Iceland. Iceland? Yeah, it's from Iceland. There's always one. Always one. It's from Germany. Yeah. Yeah, Germany, yeah. Woo! Right. Number three, Paul Hollywood. Paul Hollywood, yeah. Number four. Sleeping Beauty or Aurora. Is it Aurora? Yeah. PJ's even nodded, you know that one? You've got a knowledge. He knows all the Disney princesses. Okay, how many in the fellowship? Nine. Nine. Very good. How many were hobbits? <laughs> okay. Who can sing the verse first? Who wants to sing the verse first? Come on. Julian, what's the first verse? The chords that cannot be broken. I was going to get us all to stand up and sway like this. Okay, last question. Six million. Six million. Six million. Bearing in mind that the population wasn't what we have today. That's a huge number of people. Okay, there we go. I think the children are going to go off to their... <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Ah, peace. <laughs> Didn't mean that. Sorry. Sounds all... The devil. Oh, it's lovely. I love that song. I'm going to get the CD. Okay, so we're going to continue looking at fellowship. A bit more serious this time, okay, so no jokes, I'm afraid, or maybe that's a good thing. So, as I said, fellowship transformed the way society was, particularly in the first century. I'm going to paint a picture of what the first century was like. I'm going to say how fellowship affects us, what we can do about fellowship in our culture, and then I'm going to talk about um, why that might be important. Alright? So firstly... There we go. See that? Again, that took me a long time to get that right. Uh, Nice and centred. So, the early church was born into a culture that was very brutal. I just want to say that. So the idea that Christians had and Jews had of believing in one God was quite unusual. There were other cultures that believed in one God, but generally there were loads and loads of different gods. In the Roman Greco world, They basically had a God for everything. You name it, they had a God for it. And these gods were brutal, they were inconsistent, and they were cruel. And they were so inconsistent that sometimes it seems quite laughable. For instance, the goddess Athena was both a goddess of wisdom and war, but was also associated with peace and handicrafts are important. So she was as good with a bow as she was with some sewing needles. So there was a real inconsistency about the gods that the Romans and the Greeks believed in. Also, explicit to their culture was this idea that some people were born to rule and some people were born not to rule. Some people were born to be slaves. Women as slaves were looked down on, they were treated abysmally, Here's a a quote that will come up in the next slide from Aristotle, who, although was born quite a few centuries before Christ, he actually had a great influence on, um, on proceedings, on the culture. And he said this, 
Aristotle thanked his fortune for three things. First, that I'm a human and not a beast. Second, that I'm a man and not a woman. Third, that I'm Greek and not a barbarian. And this was endemic in the culture of the Romans and the Greeks. Slaves were treated harshly. If you had a slave, you were a master. You could do with the slave whatever you wanted to. There were no things like human rights, no contracts, work contracts, anything like that. Anything went. Roman governors had the authority to condemn anyone they thought was against the Romans. And they didn't have to have much evidence. And if they found out that you were against in any way the Romans, they could simply throw you to the lions or um, burn you alive. Roman society, it was not considered, and I hated reading this, but it was not considered abnormal or any, no one batting an eyelid if they decided that they were just going to abandon their children by the wayside. If their family got too big, then it was not unusual for children just to be left by the side of the road. And it was often Christians growing up that would um, inherit or adopt these children. In the words of historian Tom Holland, culture was unspeakably cruel. And then came Christianity. And this next verse is so profound and so life-changing, so different to the culture in which it was first spoken, as for some people it was laughable. This idea that there was equity, there was neither Jew nor Greek, there was neither slave nor free, there was neither male nor female, that everyone was one in Christ. That was earth-shattering, life-transforming, life-changing, beyond what we can understand as a culture right now, because we kind of think, well, that, of course, that's, that's, that's right. But in the culture, in the Roman Greek, Greek culture, this was um, laughter. Suddenly now, you have this Christianity where both slaves and masters were equal in God's sight, where they were to treat each other with respect, regardless of what upbringing they had. Women were given positions of authority. We know that in the early church. Paul writes to husbands, lay down your life for your wives. That was unheard of in the culture in which Christianity was born. The idea of one marriage partner for life was radical. Christians were both socially inclusive and gender inclusive. If you were poor in Christ, you were no longer despised, but you were equal with the rich in Christian fellowship. And you can understand that in a brutal society, this would be very, very attractive. If you were a slave, if you were female, if you were poor, you can understand why you might want to be along to this, this fellowship, this understanding of Christianity, where you could be treated with respect and loved despite your upbringing or your background. So what does this mean for us? How might fellowship transform us? This idea of community, loving one another, and, and loving God. So I'm going to break this into three different areas. So the first one is fellowship with the Holy Spirit, which should come up with a verse, hopefully. There we go. And it says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship, that word again, of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So, as part of my commitment, our commitment to fellowship, we have to get our lives sorted out before God, right? It's all part of Christianity. And if I find something in my life, and there are loads of things in my life that I don't like, and I want to change, and I could spend all morning talking about them, 
part of my life is to try and get those things right. Not because it changes how God views me, because I'm utterly accepted by God. We all, individually, are utterly accepted by God. But for fellowship to work in a church, we have to change our lives to become more like Christ. That's such a fundamental part of Christianity. I think it's been missing a little bit, this idea of discipleship, this idea if I find something in myself that I don't like, yes, I'm loved by God, but I also need to deal with it. If I have anger or lust or uh, negativity or all sorts of different things out there, not in condemnation because God loves me, but I am called to change my life. And there's a reason for that. So, Raj, could you hold the microphone for a minute? Raj, I'll Excellent. Ah, okay. So imagine that you are a piece of... Can you hear me okay? I've got to go low. <laughs> there was a hobbit here. Uh, imagine a piece of jigsaw, right? We are all jigsaws, and imagine a puzzle is the church, and this is nice and smooth, but imagine a jigsaw that's it's, it's, it's not smooth, it's, uh, there's bits coming out and it's not quite right, and it doesn't fit well with the next piece, right? Imagine we're all like that. And we're all like that when we first come to Christ, in a sense. Discipleship is about smoothing out these areas, so that they fit better with one another. If we all dealt with the things in our lives, I know you're all wonderful people, but we all have things in our lives that we would like to work on. This doesn't work, does it? That doesn't really fit very well. But the idea is that the jigsaw fits together, and that's the idea of fellowship. People come together that are saying, I'm dealing with the things in my life, so I'm going to fit better with you. It's got nothing to do with salvation, nothing to do with whether God loves you or not. That's all sorted on the cross. Your righteousness is only from Christ alone. Right, I just want to say that. But the way we live, the way we treat one another, that's that's what affects fellowship. Right, next one. <clears throat> so fellowship with each other, with believers. So this verse says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. We have fellowship with one another. Imagine, imagine a fellowship group or a group of people, a group of Christians, where you walked into that group and you knew that you were utterly accepted despite people knowing you. Imagine not having to feel vulnerable because you know that whatever you say, whatever you do, people will accept you anyway. Imagine a group of people that celebrate your successes and grieve your losses. Imagine a people who are choosing to put themselves before each other. Choosing to put others before themselves, rather. That's the wrong way around, isn't it? They're choosing to put the other person before themselves. Imagine a group like that. Imagine a group who are really, really quick to forgive and really, really slow to be angry. Imagine a group where there is no gossip. Wouldn't that be amazing? where you can be absolutely certain that when you leave that group, no one's going to talk behind your back. Do you remember the programme Cheers? I don't know whether you remember it. They had a strap, I never really watched it, but it had a strap line, everybody knows your name. That sense that you walk in and everybody knows you, and they love you, and they accept you. Just imagine how attractive that group would be. 
Here's a, here's a criticism. This is an actual criticism which is written down of the early church, the genuine one, right? So the next slide, it says this. This is a critic of the early church. They said they fall in love even before they are acquainted with one another. I love that. Isn't that such a brilliant criticism to have? If you're going to be criticised, right up there. That's great. I want to be criticised like that. Fantastic. I can think of worse criticisms. Lastly, fellowship with the world. You are a light in the, of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Imagine us being like that more and more, finding ways to do good deeds so that we may reflect the Father's love. So the next slide I was thinking about, how do we do fellowship with the world? So this is extremely excessive in many ways and we absolutely need the grace of God. But if we could work a little bit towards this, how different would our fellowship be with each other and with the world? The person in front of me is, this is anyone that you come across, the person in front of me is utterly loved by God, who in Christ no longer holds their thoughts against them. I am to consider this person better than myself, not in self-condemnation, choosing to put their needs before my own, and in so doing, lay my life down for them, that I might win them for Christ, and, become, and that they might become like him. Now, when I read that, I wrote, well, I wrote it, but when I read it, I thought, oh my goodness, I'm nowhere near that. But what if, what if we could make tiny steps towards that? What if we could say, let that be our goal in our connect group or in our lives, that whoever I meet, I'm trying to find a way of laying my life down for them, to accept them, to receive them. Doesn't mean I agree with everything they do, but I choose to love them despite those things. I choose to lay down my life. I choose to find ways to bless them, to wish the best for them, even though I might not feel much for them. I know that's a huge thing. But what if we all try to get a bit closer to them? Because this is what the early church, and there were lots of mistakes in the early church, there were lots of things that weren't great in the early church, but this is what they tried to do. I'm convinced of it. And there's a guy, I read a quote, actually I've got a quote, uh, I think, next one. I'm reading a book by Tom Holland, who's a historian, who's not actually, well he's sort of a Christian, but he calls himself kind of like a Christian in terms of his values and his outlook, but he doesn't necessarily have a relationship with God. But he's been on with N.T. Wright and other people talking about this idea of Christianity, and he's looked at the early Christian church, he's looked at society, and he says that as it goes, he is a Christian because of the values that society has right now. And he says this, that to live in a Western country, as we do, is to live in a society so utterly saturated by Christian concepts and assumptions. To live in a Western country is to live in a society still utterly saturated by Christian concepts and assumptions. This idea of human rights, the idea of international law, the sanctity of marriage, all these things are steeped and rooted in Christianity. It was, if you imagine, when Christianity came about, it was like a rock being thrown in the water. 
and the ripples are still being affected by us. We're still receiving, we're still seeing those ripples. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. I had a picture in a leaders meeting a little while ago. And this picture is really, really vague. But all I can describe it is I saw lots of pockets of like fellowship groups or connect groups that we have or groups around the country or wherever. And it was a group of people that are saying, we are choosing to stand for Christian values and we are choosing to stand for the morals of, of Christianity. Because, and this is the reason why I was talking about the Romans, social commentators are saying it's likely that those values that we hold so closely that we see in our society are going to wane. We're already starting to see, aren't we, a little bit. But the values and the morals that we hold so dear are, are going to subside. And that's a real threat to our society. But as Christians, I see us as pockets of people, resistant fighters, if you want, resistant fighters, saying, no, I'm not going to come under the culture that's increasingly ungodly, I'm going to choose to make a stand for the Christ, the Christ I believe in and the values that Jesus gave to me. I'm choosing to love despite all the hatred that's out there and the divisiveness out there and the, and the polarizations out there. I'm choosing to make a stand and say, no, I am resisting that in the name of Jesus and I'm going to hold on to Christian values even if it takes me to, to death because that's exactly what the early church did. They stood up for their Christian values despite the persecution despite the fact that it cost them their lives. They said, there's something better. There's something better that I'm standing for. I'm standing for eternity. I'm standing for heaven. I'm standing for the God that I believe in, even though people might reject me and hurt me and hate me. So this last slide, I just want us to think about this. In our connect groups, this is partly why the early church used to meet up. Yes, it was to sing songs, to have quiche, to have communion, but it was also, how can we encourage one another to love? How can we encourage one another to be lights out there in a world that's becoming increasingly dark? How can I go to my workplace and choose not to join in with the gossip? or wherever I am with groups of people? How can I choose not to gossip? How can I, how can I choose to go in a different spirit if people are being negative about someone? How can I speak to that person, or speak to that group and say about the person that's being spoken against? How can I say something positive to just to break that spirit of negativity or gossip or whatever it is? How can I reach out to my neighbours? How can I do something that's different to the culture that we find ourselves in? I work in a place which is sometimes quite negative. People are always sort of moaning or groaning about one another. And I'm trying to make a point that I compliment people. Right? I try to see the gold in people. I try to pick out something. Because there's always something good in someone, right? How can I at work say, oh, that was a really good job, you did really well, thank you so much for helping me, that was fantastic, that email that you sent was really, really helpful, thank you, you're such a great work colleague, I really, really appreciate you. How can we go in a different spirit that just shines the light of the gospel, that shines the light of Jesus Christ in our community? 
Maybe it's baking a cake for someone. Maybe it's making quiche for someone. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Not, not for me, though. Please. So in your groups, one good thing to do is when you meet together is say, how can we, as a group, make a difference out there? And I've struggled with this. Because, of, because we live in a Christian society, sometimes it feels like shining your light it doesn't make much difference because there's lots of lights out there because we live, as I say, in a very Christian society in many ways, more so than we realise. I was reading an obituary recently of a, of a doctor who had just passed away. I, did, I never met the guy, I didn't know anything about him, but in this obituary they were talking about how when he retired he came back to work and he was so helpful and he helped his colleagues and he did various things that were really, really helpful. And I was reading that and saying, oh, that's wonderful, isn't that great? I was thinking, I wonder if he was a Christian. And I was thinking, well, he probably wasn't a Christian. Like, charity work is not an unusual thing. To do good things to others is not an unusual thing, partly because, again, we are steeped in Christianity. And sometimes, when I try to do good things, I think, well, it doesn't look any lighter than the good things are already out there that, from people that are not even followers of Jesus. But... As I say, if the world gets darker, as it will, then we have an increasing ability to shine our lights, to reflect Jesus in a darkening world. How can we do that? I had to practice that this morning. So I went for a run this morning, and I, I got attacked by a dog. Yeah, it's awful. It's back down here. And... Attacked was probably pushing it a little bit. It came up to me and was growling and I, I felt a little bit threatened. And then, you know when a dog attacks or looks like and the owner's there and you think, surely the owner will say sorry or I'm really sorry about your dog. And I looked at the owner and he looked more growly than the dog. <laughs> so, my first thought was to give him the right hand of fellowship, right? But then I suddenly thought... No, uh, so that's that's that enters my thought, right? Like that's wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. You should say sorry. That's what I would do. That's that's the thing that goes on in my head, right? As the dog attacks me. But then I suddenly realised, no, I'm called to bless. We're called to bless when those things happen. And I'm not saying it like I'm some sort of super Christian because my initial reaction is not godly and it's not holy. But that's okay. If that's your reaction, that's okay. But it's what you choose afterwards. What do, I, what do I do with that feeling that I have? What do I do when I feel annoyed by someone, when someone ticks me off, when someone does something I don't like? What do I do when I'm in a car and someone cuts me up, right? What do I do? Do I try and cut them up back? Or do I make a choice to say, I bless you, Peugeot driver, that just cut me up and almost... My airbag went off. I bless you. May you have good day. I bless you, dog owner that looks more growly than your dog. I bless you. May you have good. May your face change. <laughs> I didn't say that out loud. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here this morning. <laughs> I'll be in hospital. It's quite a big fella. Um, it's just the choices we make. None of us are perfect. We're not. We're not meant to be perfect. But can we? Just inch one little footstep closer to the idea of what Christ would do in the situations we find ourselves. Can we do that? Can we encourage one another in our groups to say, 
I, I, I gave an example in my group recently about a struggle I've got with a work colleague that I'm finding really difficult, and I shared that. And it's not that I wanted to gossip about them or say anything about them, but I wanted to share it because I want their advice. I need advice. I need help. Sometimes we need to help each other to say, I've got a situation in my life, with my family, with my work colleague, whatever. What would you do? What would you do in that situation? And coming together to talk about it, not in a gossipy way or a negative way, but in a way that says, ah, here's a solution, and then let's pray about it. That is being a group that is saying, how can we encourage each other to love and good works? How can we encourage each other to go the extra mile? How can we encourage each other to bless instead of curse, to go in a different way? Because society is going that way more and more and more, and we have to go the other way. But we need each other to do that. We can't do it on our own. We need each other's encouragement. Let's pray. So Lord, we just thank you. I just want to thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are God who gave your life for us. That is so amazingly incredible compared to all the other gods. There is no God like you who laid down your life, that gave yourself to every single human being. And I just want to give you all the thanks for that. And I just ask that you would help us as a church, as a, a people of fellowship, to find ways in this ever-darkening world to pour out your love. God, we need your help so much. We need your help with our children, Lord, and our grandchildren, as they are growing up in an ever-darkening world. Help us to help them, Lord. Help us to support them, Lord. Help us to be accountable to each other. Help us to be vulnerable with each other. Help us to lay down our lives for each other, Lord. Help us to find ways of doing that. Help us to be people that are called by your name. Help us to live in your love that we may extend it to others. Help us to live in your light that that light may flow to others. Help us to live in the river of your grace that that river of grace might touch the communities we find ourselves in. In Billericay, Basildon, wherever we live, Lord. To the ends of the earth, he said. God, we need your help. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think that's it. I think Jane, I'm here, so you can do what you want. <laughs>